0: Take your Bibles today and turn them, please, to Romans chapter number 14. Romans chapter 14, and I want to read to you one verse, verse number 17. The Bible says this, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. And peace. Everybody say peace. peace. And joy in the Holy Ghost. Everybody say joy. joy. Let us pray. Father, we love you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your manifest presence in this place. Lord, without you, nothing good can be accomplished here today. We can't be effective in the work you've called us to do without your presence and power. So I want to thank you for meeting with us. I want to thank you, Lord, for doing what only you can do in the hearts and lives of men, women, boys, and girls. Lord, if there be one here this morning that is lost, Father, I pray today would be the day you save them, that you convict their heart and show them, Holy Spirit, their great need for a Savior. Lord, I pray for the saved here as well, Lord, that you would comfort them with your word, that you would challenge us from your word, that you would show us exactly what we need to see. Lord, I can do nothing without you, but I know all things are possible through you. And so, Lord, today, would you have your way and will in me? Speak to me, speak through me. Fill me up, pour me out. Use me, Lord, we pray for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been preaching to you a series of messages on abundant living. I've given you five keys to abundant life. I've given you two of them so far. We've talked about... Uh, a personal relationship with Jesus. How many of you know that's number one? If you believe that, say amen. amen. See, the truth is, excuse me, the truth is this morning, folks, uh, we cannot know abundant life until we know the creator of life. And the only way you can know the creator of life is by having a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. That's the first step. You've got to know Jesus before you can receive the abundant life Jesus promises. The second one we said was we need to pray continually. Uh, Certain privileges come to the children of God, to those who have been born again. Now we have access, the Bible says, uh, to his throne room. We can come boldly to the throne of grace and we can make our petitions known to him. We should pray, we can pray, we ought to pray, we need to pray. A praying church is a powerful church. A praying Christian is a powerful Christian. Without the prayers of the people of God, nothing effective can be done in the kingdom of God. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So we need a personal relationship with Jesus, number one. Number two, we need to pray continually. Now I'm going to give you number three tonight. You say, well, "Rosa, what are we going to do this morning? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to talk uh, about uh, abundant life, what it really is, what it. Uh, what is it for us? What And I feel like if we can get a hold of this truth that we find here in Romans 14, 17, uh, then it's going to give us a burning desire to have the abundant life that Jesus offers. Now, the truth is some people may be here and they've not yet accepted Christ as their personal Savior, and so they haven't received the abundant life He gives. But there may be others here who have trusted in Jesus, but you're not walking in the abundant life that's been purchased for you. And so either way, this truth this morning I know will be beneficial to us all. Romans 14, 17, the the Apostle Paul outlines for us the abundant life Jesus promised in John chapter 10, verse 10. If you remember, Jesus says the thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But he said, I have come that they might have life. Now folks, if there's one thing that fires me up, about the relationship I now have with Jesus is the life that He has given me. Because before Jesus, all I was really doing was existing. I was breathing in, I was breathing out, I was going through the motions day by day. My life was meaningless. There was no purpose in it, there's no power in it, there's no peace in it. But after Jesus, all that changed. He's given me peace, power, and purpose. And I realize now my life means something. Amen. What I do for the kingdom of God not only impacts people today, but will also impact all of eternity. Wow. Wow. That's all because of Jesus, the life that He's promised. That life that Jesus promised in John 10.10 is outlined for us right here by the Apostle Paul. As I've told you many times before, the best commentary on the Word of God is the Word of God itself. And so the Apostle Paul says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. He says, but the kingdom of God is this. Kingdom living is certainly abundant living. And so he says kingdom living looks like this. First of all, righteousness. All right. Now, I want to talk to you about righteousness from two different aspects this morning. Positional righteousness and practical righteousness. Jesus said a whole lot about positional righteousness and practical righteousness as he walked upon this earth in his earthly ministry. He said something in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 20 that I want all of us to look at this morning. Take your Bibles, turn with me there and let's look at one verse. Jesus said something that I believe blew these people away. Matthew chapter 5, the 20th verse, he said, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of God. Now when he said this, this had to be uh, one of those two by four moments that I've told you about uh, many times that's happened in my life. When it seems like God just takes that proverbial two before and hits you right between the eyes with it and gets your attention. It had to be like that for these folks. Let me tell you why. These people in that day, these Jewish people that Jesus is speaking to, they saw the scribe and the Pharisee as the ones that were closest to God. The scribe and the Pharisee felt themselves to be the ones that were closest to God. They felt that it was through their own self-righteous works that they were made right with God. They would be considered God-righteous. They would be considered righteous by God Himself by the good things they did. I mean, and they were very zealous concerning the law. The Apostle Paul himself, before he got saved, was a Pharisee. And he said, uh, when describing his religion that he had then, he said, you know what, according to the law, there was no one that was more zealous than me. They were very zealous according to the law of God. As a matter of fact, the Pharisee would have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. The, The Pentateuch, the law, they committed that to memory. They knew God's word, can you say amen? Now, not only that, they went to church every day. They were in the temple every day. They didn't just go on Sundays and Wednesdays. They didn't just go twice a week. They went every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. They were in the temple serving. I not you to think about that. Very religious. Very religious. Very pious, they went the right places, they did the right things, they wore the right clothes. Everyone saw them as being the ones that were considered righteous by God. They did it through their own self-righteous works. One great pastor, when describing the Pharisee, asked this question, I like how he put it. He said, have you ever wondered what a church full of Pharisees would look like? He said, number one, they would attend every service, and they would have. Number two, they would all tithe, and they would have. Number three, they would all work in the church, and they would have. Number four, they would have all went to hell. (laughs) Why? What is he saying there? Is he saying there's anything wrong with attending service? Absolutely not. I'm thankful you're here today. I want you to keep coming back. Church does not save you, but church is a great place to get saved. Hey, we all need to be under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, each and every one of us. So we need church. That's not a bad thing to come to church. Is it a bad thing to give to the church to tithe? Absolutely not. Is it a bad thing to work in the church? Absolutely not. So what was that pastor saying when he said they'd all go to hell? What he was saying is this, none of those things forgive your sin. See, to be considered righteous by God, your sin problem has to be taken care of. To be considered righteous in the eyes of a God who's holy, you've got to be made clean. Can you say amen? You've got to be washed clean. So what is positional righteousness? Well, I'm glad you asked. How are we considered righteous in the eyes of a holy God? Well, the Bible tells us. I mean, of the answers you're looking for is found in the Bible. It's found in God's Word. Let's, let's quit looking for the answers we seek through these self-help seminars and, and positive thinking. Let's start looking in the Word of God and see what He says about life. Amen. Those, those things may have their place, but I'm telling you, what we need is a good dose of the truth of the Word of God. It makes a difference. Truly makes a difference. Positional righteousness. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. And we're going to look at two verses there. Paul again here is describing for us what it means to be positionally righteous in the eyes of God. And he uses Abraham as his example. He says in Romans 4 in verse number 3, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. I love this. Abraham is considered the father of the faith. Now, was he considered a man that was a friend of God or considered righteous by God simply because of who he was? No, he wasn't. Let me tell you why. Because Abraham came from a pagan nation. He was born in what the Bible calls a land, the Ur of the Chaldees, amen? And in that nation, they worshiped false gods and set up idols and bowed down to them. God called him out of that in Genesis chapter 12 and said, Abraham, I want you to leave your father, your country, your people, everything you know. Walk out into the desert till I tell you to stop and I'm going to give you a land and make you a great nation. The Bible says Abraham packed up his stuff and left. He believed who God was and what God promised and walked out into the desert. Can you say amen? Wow, that's faith. That's Abraham saying, God, I'm trusting you because I know you're going to do me right. I'm trusting you because I know you can do for me what I can't do. I'm trusted in what you say. And according to Romans chapter 4 and verse number 3, he believed God, and it was because of that faith, that trust that he put in who God is and what God says, that God says, I'm considering you righteous. You say, Well, brothers, well, that's Abraham. What about us? Well, what about us? Look down to verse number 24. He explains all that went on with Abraham and why it was possible. And I encourage you this week in your quiet time, go back and read that. We don't have time this morning, but I want to share with you what it means for you. Positional righteousness by faith. He says in verse 24, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed. Do we have any accountants in the room this morning? Anybody ever do any any accounting? The the word impute is, uh, yeah, there you go, brother. You know what that word means, don't you? What's that mean? means to put on their account, right? It's an accounting term which means to add to the account of someone. That's actually what it's talking about. And so the Bible says, for us also it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus from the, from the dead. Does everybody see that? Righteousness will be put on our account when we trust in the finished work of Christ. Not in what we do or who we are or our own self-righteous works. Because folks, you need to know this. You can't do enough. There are so many people that are trying their hardest to make it to heaven. And as long as you try in your own self-righteous works, you're always going to fall short. What you need to do is start trusting. Trusting in the finished work of Jesus. And when you start trusting in Jesus, he'll take care of the trying. He'll birth a desire within you that comes from the Holy Spirit of God that causes you to want to do what's pleasing to God. You'll want to come to church. It won't be you have to come to church. You'll not be fulfilling an obligation. Listen, you'll be coming because you want to spend time with God. Can you say amen? You want to spend time with people. It'll get to the point where you won't uh, have to read your Bible. You'll want to read your Bible because it's bursting a flame in your hand. You won't have to serve people. It'll be a joy serving people, loving people. What am I describing to you? Well, I'm describing to you the difference between religion and relationship. The Pharisee had a whole lot of religion what they needed was a relationship with Jesus that made them righteous and that's what we all need see what 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 the bible is saying in romans 4 and 24 is that for those who have believed on the finished work of christ my hope is built on nothing less than jesus blood and righteousness I shall not trust the sweetest frame, but holding on to Jesus' hand. Amen? Amen. Trusting in Him, trusting in Jesus. It's through that trust in Christ. That God imputes righteousness on our behalf. That means that God no longer sees those who have trusted in Jesus as being in their sin. Now He sees them as being a part of His family. Now He sees them with the imputed righteousness of His Son on their behalf. That's positional righteousness. But how many of you know we also need some practical righteousness? What is practical righteousness? Let me define it for you. This is what I believe it to be. Practical righteousness for the believer. It's us making the decision daily to do life uh, the way God wants, according to His standard, which is His Word. That means I make the decision as a child of God to daily do what God says, and we do that by His power. Amen? Amen? And I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me, mamas and daddies. God's way is the best way. Just do it God's way. Listen to me, children. God's way is the best way. Just do it God's way. The Bible says in Psalms 119, 105, that the word of God is like a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It shares with us, shows us the best way we need to go. You walk around in the dark, you're going to stumble and fall and make a mess out of everything. What you need is some light shown onto your path. And we gain that light. We gain that insight. We gain the knowledge of what God wants from His standard, His word. And when we get a hold of it, then we apply it to our lives. As you, Pastor, that's what I seek. See, folks, if you come in here week in and week out or I come in here week in and week out and we get in the Word of, Gather and, and Word of God together, we study it, we preach it, we teach it, we pray over it, we pray about it, we do all that stuff in here. But when we leave here, if it don't change how we live, really all we've had in here is just a good pep rally. Now listen to me. I'm not against a good pep rally. But the truth is, When it comes game time, it's not in here. We play the game out there. If what we sing about and talk about and pray about and teach about don't impact our life out there, did it really mean anything to us in here, did it? I say no. We need some practical righteousness day by day. Getting a hold of what God says, then going out there by His power and doing it. Amen? Amen? In your home, in your workplace, at your school, at the grocery store. Righteousness. That's a mark of kingdom living, positional and practical. I was talking to a fine woman, great woman, my grandmother. It's actually my wife's grandmother, but I call her my grandmother. She disliked my grandmother. Such a sweet lady. How old is my 93? 93 years old. I was sitting with her last week, and she said something to me that I thought was pretty powerful. She said, I just can't see why people don't want to live a good life. She said, the best life you can live and to really be happy. She says, you live that life by doing what God says. That is so simple. But it's so powerful. If you want a good life, do it God's way. Righteousness, it's the best way. But then he says something else. He says, peace. One of my favorite verses is John 14, 27. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. Not peace like the world gives, give I unto you, but my peace. He he makes a distinction between his peace and the world's peace. And I think we need to clear that up. What's that mean for us? What is the distinction? Well, let me tell you what I believe it is. I believe it's this. The The peace the world gives is sufficient for you as long as you don't have any problems. As long as it's hunky-dory and hallelujah and everything's going fantastic, the peace the world gives will be sufficient for you. As long as you're not going through any pain, the, the peace the world gives will be sufficient for you. As long as you never go through any trials, tribulations, or troubles, the peace of the world gives, it'll be sufficient for you. But let me tell you what happens to all of us because we live in a fallen creation. Sometimes life sneaks up on you, jerks that rug right out from under your feet, and you fall flat on your face and wonder which end is up. happens to everybody. Now, don't you believe the lie of the enemy when he says God don't love you because bad stuff happens to you? Bad stuff happens to you because we live in a fallen creation marred by sin. God's on record for how much he loves you. But the truth is, all of us are going to go through tough times. It's an imperfect world full of imperfect people. If you believe that, say amen. Now, you ain't going to hear that from the name it and claim it, blab it, and grab it crowd, but I'm going to tell you it's the truth according to the word of God. Folks, that's just the way, that's life. That's life. And as long as you ain't having none of those problems, I'm talking about problems in your home. See, I'm talking about problems that maybe you face, some people have faced, we all face problems in our home. Maybe the husband comes home and says, been married for years to his wife, said, I don't love you anymore, I want a divorce, I'm leaving. The peace the world gives is sufficient until that happens, then it's gone just like that. That wife comes home and says, I don't love you anymore. I'm leaving. I want a divorce. The peace the world gives, it's gone just like that. That child does something that's not pleasing to you. You have a problem in that relationship. The peace the world gives, it's gone just like that. At your workplace... Your boss walks in one day and says, "Guess what? We're cutting back. We can't use you anymore. Today's your last day." The peace the world gives—it's gone just like that. The doctor calls because you had those tests yesterday, and today he calls you and says, "We need you to come in tomorrow because things just ain't looking right. We need to talk to you face to face about this stuff." The peace the world gives—it's gone just like that. Jesus said, "I don't. That ain't what I'm giving you. I'm giving you my peace." Now, how many of you know if He's called the Prince of Peace, then the peace He gives means something. If He is eternal, the peace He gives is eternal. If He never leaves the believer, the peace He gives will not leave the believer. I don't mean you're not going to have times of worry, times of doubt, times of fear, because you're still in this flesh. But it does mean, even in the darkest of times in your life, even in the times where you've got the greatest pain, the greatest problems, whatever it may be, the greatest trouble, trial, or tribulation, in those times you still have peace. If you have the peace that Jesus gives. The peace that comes from the abundant life. Because we live in a world of uncertainty, if we're not careful, worry will control our lives. And a lot of us worry about stuff you can't even fix anyway. You can't do nothing about it, but you worry about it. And it's controlling you. Worry and doubt are ugly cousins. If you doubt the power of God, if you doubt what God is able to do in your life as a believer, you will worry. If you doubt God's promises, worry will control you. And Satan knows that. That's why he always wants to cause us to doubt. That's why he looked at Eve and said, half God really said. He says the same thing to us. All the time. Bad things happen in your life and, that, that, and he'll come and whisper things like, if God really loved you, he wouldn't let this happen to you. Are you getting me? Listen, peace for living is this. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Do you know there's a lot of people today that are chewing their fingernails to the bone worrying about what the guy with the funny haircut in North Korea is going to do? This dude is shooting missiles everywhere trying to get one to blow us up and people are chewing their fingernails to the bone and losing sleep at night because of it. Let me say something to you folks. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what anybody's going to do in the world stage. But I do know this. God is still in control and I call him Father. I do not know what tomorrow holds, but I certainly know who holds tomorrow. And he who hath not failed me yet will not fail me according to his truth. Amen. So quit forfeiting the peace that God gives because you doubt what God is able to do. Let me give you something else. This will be a blessing to you if you'll take it and apply it. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things, everybody say all things. Not some things, not most things, not good things, not bad things. He says all things. Work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Now folks, if that won't give you peace, I don't know what will. All things. Some things we perceive to be good things. Some things we perceive to be bad things. But God says, even in the bad stuff, all things, even in the things that we perceive to be problems, even in the things that bring us pain, even in the things that we don't understand, God said, I'm working in all that to bring it for your good. You say, brother, how is that possible? I'll tell you one one way I know it's possible. I can't explain all of it because I'm not God. But I can tell you this. God sees the whole picture. All we see is just a tiny portion. The here and now. Or what's happened yesterday. God sees all of it. And so He can even use those bad things to work for your good. That gives me peace for living. Let me say something else to you. The peace that Jesus gives, that He's purchased by His precious blood, that we receive because of the abundant life that comes by faith in Him, gives us peace for dying too. This week, let, let me say this, we didn't lose a brother this week. You hear me? We didn't lose him. I know where he's at. Now, he, he, he went on to be with the Lord, and we're not able to be with him now, but we will be. Now, let me tell you something about this brother. Um, about, I don't know, two months ago, two and a half months ago, something like that, I was standing in the back of the church one day. Brother Thomas came walking back, and he said, brothers, I want to tell you something. I'm stopping my chemo treatments. And I said, brother, are you sure about that? He said, yeah. He said, man, it's not working. I'm staying sick all the time. He said, I want to enjoy the life I have with my family, what I have left, and I can't do that taking this stuff. I'm not taking anymore. And um, I'm just going to be honest. At that moment, that worried me. That worried me, and I questioned that. And, And he said something to me that just blows me away every time I think about it. He says, brother, I know where I'm going. Don't you worry about me. He says, now I want you to pray for my family. I want you to be there for my family, but don't worry about me. Now, folks, that's, that, that's one thing for us to say that right here today, healthy. I know where I'm going, and I'm, but I, I, listen, I'm planning on living. I hope I live another 70, 80 years. He's going to lie to you. No, I'm ready to go. I know where I'm, where I'm headed when I die. I'm not saying that. I have peace in knowing I've trusted in Jesus, but I'm not morbid. I want to live life. I want to spend at least 70 with my wife. I love that woman. I, I want to see my kids grow up, my grandkids, my great-grandkids. I want to see what God does at Mount Zion Baptist Church. I want to enjoy life. I know where I'm going, but to be sitting here healthy, it's one thing to say, I know where I'm going, but this brother was at death's door. And he said, you know what? I want to enjoy what time I've got. I'm not going to keep taking this stuff that's making me so sick, even though that may have prolonged what was inevitable except by the healing power of God. Are you hearing me? That's peace in dying. You see, the truth is a man is never really ready to live until he's ready to die. Before I met Jesus, there would be times I'd lay in my bed at night and just absolutely tremble in fear. I'm talking about literally lay there and tremble, get sick to my stomach in fear that I wasn't going to wake up because I knew I wasn't right with the Lord. And I knew I was going to bust hell wide open if I died in that shape. Let me tell you something. When you're fearing that, that cloud will hang over you everywhere you go and everything you do. A man is never truly ready to live until he is ready to die. Hey, look at me, family. Let me say this too. Right now, Brother Thomas is more alive than he's ever been. How many times we pray for healing, sister? A lot. Guess what? God answered it. Today, he's completely healed. Wow. Now, sometimes God answers in ways that we don't understand and we don't want, but you know what? I'm going to trust him. He's God and I'm not. No, he loves me. Oh, the peace of God is an amazing thing. Then he says joy in the Holy Ghost. Peace that passeth all understanding. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. For the believer... We have joy, not happiness. Happiness is based upon happenings, what happens to us. Are you hearing me? Now, if, if, if that's all you've got, guess what? When your happens, happenings change, when your circumstances change, you'll lose your happiness if that's all you got. I, I can say this. Because I've experienced it in my own life. In terrible times in my life when things have happened, those problems I'm talking about, the, the, the pain that we sometimes go through, when those things happen in my life, I can say with certainty that the joy of the Lord is always with me. I'm telling you, folks, There's nothing like having a relationship with Christ. It makes all the difference. The Apostle Paul was in a prison cell in the book of Philippians. It's one of the prison epistles. He wrote it from there. It's only got four chapters. Eighteen times in four chapters. That brother writes about joy. The joy he has, the joy other people should have as the believer's, uh, and, and folks, you go in there and you read, and I encourage you to do so. Read Philippians. Read it this week in your quiet time. It's only four chapters. Go in there and check it out. Listen, you will not think this man is sitting in a prison cell by what he writes. Can me tell you why. Because even though he's being persecuted for his faith, he's still walking in the joy of the Lord. His joy is not based on what happens to Him. It's not based on His circumstances. His joy is found in Jesus. And because Jesus never changes, I mean, you know, that's the truth. Hebrews 13.8 says, I am the same. He is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. He does not change. He cannot change. You cannot improve upon perfection. Jesus remains the same. And because my joy is found in Jesus, I can have joy no matter what changes in my life. You can too. You can too. Billy Graham said it best, I think. He said that the Christian walk is not about the absence of problems, but it is about the addition of God's power to help you through whatever you might face in this life. Isn't that the truth, child of God? He gives us righteousness. Peace. Peace for living, peace for dying. And joy that is found in Jesus. Trust Him. Rest in Him. Learn of Him. Love Him. Serve Him. Abundant life is truly an amazing life. Amen? Everybody stand together. Let me ask you have you been saved? Have you trusted in Christ and know that you've been born again? If not, why not today? Why not today? Take the first step to abundant living. That's trusting in Jesus. Oh, if you need Him, today He's able to save you. And believe me, you need Him. All of us do. All of us do. Child of God, are you walking in the abundant life? that's already been purchased for you, that you've already received, don't allow the flesh and the enemy to keep you from experiencing the abundant life that God gives. Don't allow the enemy to lie to you because he is a liar. Don't allow the the enemy to steal from you because he is a thief. Man, Jesus said, I came to give you life, life abundant. So today, maybe you just need to lay some things down at this altar. Maybe you just need to come and cast your care upon Him. The Bible says in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, we are to cast our care upon Him. Why? Because He cares for us. When the cares of this life get too big and too burdensome for us to carry, He's got some big shoulders. So we can just cast them on Him. You need to do that. You need to do that. If you need the Lord in any way today, These altars are always open. Brother, play for us. God called Moses to go to Egypt and by his power lead his people out of bondage. He gets to Egypt, tells Pharaoh what God has said. Pharaoh refuses to let the people go. And because of that, God starts sending these plagues to Egypt. And so, if you remember, he sent a plague of frogs. And there was frogs everywhere. I mean, all throughout the land of Egypt. Everywhere you look, there's frogs. Frogs in the bed, frogs in the bathtub, frogs in the soup bowl. Wherever you look, there was frogs everywhere. You know what Pharaoh said? He told Moses. He said, if you'll tell God to um, let this... Plague, go. I'm going to let the people go. And Moses said, okay, I'll pray to the Lord. He said, I'll let them go in the morning. Now that always puzzled me. Here you have this man who's got frogs everywhere. He's dealing with frogs everywhere he looks. And all he has to do is do what God says, and the frogs would be taken away. But he says, I'll do it in the morning. I want to spend one more night with the frogs. Listen, what are you waiting on? Today is the day to trust in Christ. Quit sleeping with the frogs. Trust Him. Trust Him. Can we sing one more? One more verse. My goodness.